we'll, we'll read just the opening section of the passage uh, together. Mark chapter 2 and the first verse. And let us hear the word of the Lord. Speaking of the Saviour, it says, And again he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them, no, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately, when Jesus perceived in a spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise, and take up thy bed and walk? But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, and take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed, and glorified God, saying, we never saw it on this fashion. We're going to end just there. And we know the Lord will add his blessing. Uh, that's the public reading of his word. Just a wee word of prayer together. Just a moment. We'll seek the Lord for his help as we come to his word. Father, you've told us, be still and know that I am God. We ask you to still our hearts just in thy presence. We thank you for the opportunity to gather together in thy house uh, to hear thy word. We pray, Father, that you'll give us an experience such as Mary had those many years ago when she sat at the Saviour's feet and heard his word. We ask thee, Father, to, to speak to us today. Remember the prayer that old Eli instructed Samuel to pray, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. That is the earnest cry of our hearts. We ask thee to remember the congregation here. We pray for your blessing upon them. We ask thee, Father, to continue to use the, the witness of the congregation here in this city and in this community. We pray that you'll send in others. We ask, Father, send in new families. Send in new, new laborers uh, to the congregation. Remember the Reverend Kimbrough and his wife. Watch over them. Bless his ministry there in Calgary. We ask you to remember the Reverend Bowman and his wife and family too. Encourage them 
in these days and strengthen their hands. And Father, we ask thee to undertake for every family of this church. You know the different needs, the various burdens upon every heart. Lord, encourage your people today, we ask. And we would plead that you might give us even now an Emmaus Road experience. We ask that our hearts will burn within us while you talk with us by the way. We offer these our prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Can I direct your attention just for a moment to the beginning of that chapter? It tells us, just as we read that opening section again, verse 2, Straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them, no, not so much about the door, and he preached the word uh, unto them. I want to, to speak to you just for a few moments this morning on the theme of uh, bringing men uh, to Christ. Whenever I ministered in the Glass Church, there's a family there, the Madoles. Their son, Gareth, is a, a missionary in the Philippines. I had the opportunity to visit Gareth a couple of times out in the Philippines. The first time we were there, they took us uh, to visit a church about five hours from Manila in a very remote location. In fact, it was so remote we needed another pastor to, to be our guide to show us the way there. Whenever we were getting ready for the service, the pastor was very apologetic. The church building, there was, there was just stones on the ground corrugated iron sheets uh, for the roof. They had bamboo, pieces of bamboo just for, for the walls. There was actually just holes, there was no doors. They had a little bit of cloth hanging behind the pulpit just to make it look a little bit more attractive. He was very apologetic. At least three times during the service he apologised uh, for the building in which we were meeting. He felt a little awkward about it. But then he made this statement that I never forgot. A statement that made all the difference, men and women alike. I pray the Lord may impress it upon your heart uh, today. He said, this is a place where souls are being saved. And what a difference that makes, men and women. To, to be in a place where God is at work and where souls are being brought to Christ in salvation. So I want you to think with me today of bringing men to Christ. That's what this little band of people were engaged in. And I want to emphasize you, that's what, what we need to be engaged in as well. Think of the summer ahead of you. Think of the future, the, your, your life, the witness here. This is the work, brethren and sisters, that we ought to be engaged in. You take a moment, just ask yourself some questions. What, why is this church here? Why does this church exist in Winston-Salem? Why does the, the whole denomination exist? What is the work that the Lord has given us or given you uh, to do? Those are good questions. The reality is sometimes we lose our way. Sometimes we lose our focus. Sometimes we lose sight of the purpose for which the church exists. There's times the devil wants to distract us times the devil wants to divert us. So why are we here? Why do we hold services such as this? 
We do well to think of that very, very carefully. The reality, we're here to do what these four people were doing. We're here to bring others uh, to Christ. The Savior said, go and make disciples of all nations. So we're, we're to bring men to Christ. We're to bring others uh, to the Savior. And I want you to understand that today, brethren and sisters. I trust that that, that will grip uh, your heart. The Lord has given us a job to do. The Lord has given you a job to do in this city. So let us not fail him. Let us not fail him in that great uh, task. You think of what is said in the book of the Revelation of the church at Ephesus. It talks about the removal of the candlestick. Remove thy candlestick out of its place. It's not a very solemn thing. Taking away the church. Removing the witness of the church. The Lord can do that. It has happened uh, many times over the centuries in, in church history. So just think of that. Think of the Lord closing down the church. When we lived in Wales, the, the Western Mail was the biggest daily newspaper in Wales at that time. They had a headline one day of 1,500 nonconformist places of worship closing down. Isn't that quite striking? Those were all churches at one time where the gospel was preached. The word of God was faithfully being proclaimed and taught. 1,500 of them closing down at the same time. You think of the darkness descending upon the land. Why does that happen, brethren and sisters? Because the church is no longer doing the job that the Lord intended for it uh, to do. And there's a warning there. There's a warning there for us. The same could happen uh, to this church. The same could happen to our denomination. We're not immune, brethren and sisters, from that sort of thing happening to us as well. So I want to impress this upon your heart. Bringing men to Christ. I want to urge you today to be more earnest, to be more involved in that great uh, task. I'd like us to think of uh, the people that are engaged in that work. The people that we read off engaged in it here in this chapter. And I, I want us to see what we can learn uh, today from uh, these people. Notice first of all their number. In verse 3 it says that they were born of four. They come unto him bringing one sick of the palsy which was born of four. Note it doesn't say four men. Generally we think that. Possibly the women were involved as well. And I want to emphasize that and encourage the ladies today. There's a place for the ladies in the work of God. You think of what Paul said. Those women which labored with me in the gospel. Isn't that very interesting? Very challenging? Some of the ladies, he identified them. They labored with him in the gospel. He talks about Aquila and Priscilla. More often in the scriptures, Priscilla's first. Perhaps Paul had a better relationship with Priscilla. Perhaps it was the case she had given him the greater help, the greater support in his ministry. So I want you to see there's a place for the ladies. So long as the ladies, of course, know their place in the work of God. So here's four people, and they're bringing a man to Christ. Can I stress to you, it wasn't a large number of workers. There was just four of them. So few engaged in this work. 
That's not sad. It's reflective of the church in the days in which we're found. Sadly, generally, that is often the case. There are so few laborers. The Savior himself said that. The laborers are few. And you know, it doesn't matter the size of the church. Even in very large churches, it's generally just a few people that are there to do uh, the work. Many in the church are just onlookers. Many in the church are just spectators. You know, people that go to the baseball game or the, the football game, spectators. Sadly, there's many in the church like that as well. Maybe you're one of them. That ought not to be the case, brethren and sisters. Remember the Saviour said, Some go work today in my vineyard. The Lord wants you to be a worker. Can I ask you, what have you done for Christ since the day that you were saved? Since the day that you were converted? Mr. Moody, he was holding meetings on one occasion. When he came back to the hotel where he was staying after one of the meetings, there was a young man waiting to speak to him in the foyer. The young man stepped up to Mr. Moody, shook him by the hand. He said, I was converted at meetings that you preached at 14 years ago. Before the young man could get another word out, Moody asked him the question, What have you done for the Lord since? It's not a good question for us all today. Many years are you saved? Many years has it been since you were converted? Well, what have you done for the Lord? What have you done in the service? What have you done in the winning of souls to Christ since that day? That's a vital question, brethren and sisters. Let me tell you one of the reasons why it's so vital. It's one of the questions that the Lord's going to ask you on the judgment day. So it's good to consider it now. The Saviour says, by their fruit ye shall know them. So what fruit is there in your life to prove, to prove that you're a Christian, that you are a child of God? So I want to emphasize, brethren and sisters, the reality that the church needs you. The church needs your, your talents, needs your time. Especially in this great work of evangelism, this great work of uh, soul winning. So I want to urge you to get into the work, to get into the work for uh, the Lord. So their number. Notice as well their unity. Uh, these workers were united. If you think, think of it like this, think of those four workers. First of all, they met together. That's what you're doing here today, meeting together. And then they, they knelt together. Remember, they're getting down to lift their friend up to carry him to where the Savior was. So they met together, and then they knelt together. That speaks of prayer. I wonder, do you pray with other Christians? Do you come to the prayer meetings? We emphasize the importance of the prayer meetings of the church. So they knelt together, and then they stood together. You think of what would have happened if one had refused to stand when the other three did. Their friend would have fallen off the bed. And then they walked together. They didn't set off in four different directions. They all set off in the same direct direction. So these workers were united. They had a unity of purpose. And that unity of purpose was to bring their friend uh, to Christ. And brethren and sisters, that's vital. It's vital in God's work. Remember at Pentecost it says they were all with one accord in one place. What a blessing that is in the church. 
Can I remind you, can I point out to you that they lost that unity in the early church? I want you to realise that it can't be lost. Read the book of Acts carefully and you'll find that to be the case. What a tragedy to lose the unity and the harmony among God's people. And brethren and sisters, you can lose it too. If the apostolic church lost such a blessing, then we all need to beware. It can happen so easily. It can take place uh, so quickly. So Paul, you think of Paul and Barnabas. Do you remember the Bible says the contention was so sharp between them. It's not sad to think of that. A missionary team, perhaps the greatest missionary team the world has ever known, Paul and Barnabas, and they fell out over young John Mark. And the contention, think of the words it's used, so sharp, the exchanges, so, so sharp exchanges, things been said between those two men. And the result was division, the breaking up of that partnership, that great missionary thing. And the fact is that if their partnership for the Lord was divided, then any work can be divided. We need to be so careful, brethren and sisters. The book of Proverbs says, one of the things that God hates is he that sows discord among brethren. Don't be such a person, don't be such a man, a woman, brother, sister in this church that you sow discord among the people of God. Remember the words of Joseph to his brethren, sending them back to Canaan, to their father, Jacob. He he knew his brothers only too well. He said to them, See that ye fall not out by the way. So take that to heart, brethren and sisters, as you're making your way together along the pathway toward glory. See that ye fall not out. Don't, don't be falling out as Christians. Don't be falling out among yourselves as a, as a congregation. I'm sure you're familiar with Clarence McCartney, a very famous Presbyterian minister in this country in a former day. He used to walk to, to school every morning walked to church as well, quite a few miles. When they were setting off to, to school in the morning, his mother would always give them a verse of scripture that they could think about and talk about along the road. And more often than not, they said that was one of the verses that she would give to them. She knew that sometimes there would be quarrels and fights and fallouts. So she would say to the children, see that you fall not out by the way. How relevant those words are brethren and sisters. Paul said to the Corinthians live in peace he said to the Thessalonians be at peace among yourselves there should be no fights no no squabbles among God's people or as Paul said to the the Philippians let nothing be done through strife or vain glory so their unity notice as well their compassion you think of the question Why did they do anything for this man? Why did they take the time? Why did these four people go to the bother of bringing him to the Savior? It was because they had compassion. They had compassion on him. Their actions display a love. They display a concern that they had for this man. So just ponder that for a moment. Ask yourself, do your actions 
display a concern for others, especially those without Christ. They all, they all saved. You remember what it says of the Saviour, Matthew's Gospel, chapter nine, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion upon them. There's a young Scottish preacher, William Chalmers Burns. He went as a missionary to China, but as a young lad, William Chalmers Burns, his mother took him to, to the market in Glasgow, busy market day. She was walking along the street and she looked round and she couldn't find her son. He'd gone, disappeared. You can imagine how anxious she was for a few moments with so many people around as she searched for him. She found him standing down a, an alley, a side alley, and the tears were running down his face. She said to him in her Scottish accent, What ails you, laddie? He said, Mother, the tramp of these Christless feet on the road to a Christless eternity is almost breaking my heart. Just a lad. And he felt deeply for the lost souls of men and women. You think about the days you go to town. You go into the city to do your, 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 your errands, your business, your shopping. The crowds of people that are all around you. Sometimes we get a little frustrated. We, we can't get on. We can't get the things done that we want to because so many people are there. Well, all the queuing and all the waiting. But did you ever take a thought for their soul? When he saw the multitudes, when you see the multitudes, when you hear the, the feet of the people passing you by, do you think of Christless feet on the road to a Christless eternity? You think of the Saviour. It says of the Lord Jesus in relation to the rich young ruler, beholding him, he loved him. A young man going away without Christ, going away without salvation, as far as we know, never came to Christ. No record of that in the scriptures. And as the Saviour looked at him, he did so with deep love, deep compassion. And the question for us, brethren and sisters, do, do we have that love, that compassion for the lost? Do we look at those around us with that deep compassion? Maybe you have a love for money. The Bible says, of Balaam he loved the wages of unrighteousness. A love of money. Maybe of a love for the world. The Bible says of Demas he hath forsaken me having loved this present evil world. Sometimes we can love the wrong thing as Christians. So where is your love today? Do you have a love for souls? You know so often we're like the priest and the Levite in the story of the Good Samaritan. We pass them by on the other side. We have no thought for them, no concern. No concern for their spiritual, their lost condition. I mentioned Mr. Moody to you. I'd encourage you to read the life story of Mr. Moody. Encourage the young people to do that. There's so much that you can learn from the life of D.L. Moody. Whenever Moody started out in the work of God, he started out in Sunday school work. In fact, in one of the biggest Sunday schools in America at that time. Hundreds of boys and girls. He had a great ability at what he described as drumming up boys and girls. He could go out into the city and round them up and bring them into, into Sunday school. Sometimes when we think of Moody, we think of him only as a, an evangelist to adults. But he did a great work. He did a great work among the children. 
There's a story that was told of a young lad that went to Moody's Sunday School in Chicago and he walked five miles every Sunday to get to that Sunday School. And he walked past other churches and other Sunday schools along the way. And people knew about the lad and one day somebody asked him, why do you walk all that distance to go to Mr. Moody's Sunday School? You could go to, and they started naming other Sunday schools that he could go to along the road, along the route. Here's the reply that he gave, men and women. Speaking about Mr. Moody's Sunday School, he said, they love a fella over there. Even, even as a lad, he could see that. Even as a boy, he could discern that. It was the love. There's actually a biography of Mr. Moody called Love the Men. That was one of the great marks of Moody's life. The love that he showed, that's what, that was the great attraction to draw on his life and his ministry. They love a fellow over there. Is that true of you? Is that a mark of this church? Makes all the difference, brethren and sisters. We need to pray for a greater love, a greater love for Christ, a greater love for his work, a greater love for the lost, a greater soul winner's heart. One of my previous or predecessors in Armagh was Dr. S. B. Cook, one of the most senior ministers of our denomination, now in his 95th year. Dr. Cook was converted under the ministry of Dr. Oswald J. Smith, who was the pastor of the famous People's Church in Toronto. One of the first books that I was ever given of Oswald J. Smith's was a book that was given to me by the late Reverend Hillis Fleming. And the book was A Passion for Souls. What a challenge it is to read that book. We may not agree with everything that Oswald J. Smith uh, believed, taught. But if you read that book, you'll get a challenge to reach others for Christ. That's what we need, brethren and sisters. The title of that book sums it up well. A Passion for Souls. For the lost. Who think of how awful it will be on the judgment day? Some of your family, some of your neighbours, some of your friends, some of the people you went to school with, some of the people that you work with, worked with maybe for years, and they say, No man cared. No man cared for my soul. May the Lord give us a greater love for those that are out of Christ. The final thing I'll mention about these people is their dedication. In verse 4 it says that they uncovered the roof where he was. That's a very interesting part of the story. You think of somebody came to your house, climbed up onto the roof and pulled off a little bit of the roofing. You, you think of what your reaction to that might be. So they made a hole in the roof. They didn't let that stop them or prevent them. They, they, they did all that they could. Can I ask you this morning, brethren and sisters, as you think of making that hole in the roof, do you think they just left it like that? Do you ever consider that? After the man was healed and he rolled up his bed and he walked out of the house, what do you think they did about the, the hole in the roof? Did they just leave it, walk away themselves? That's the general idea that people have. It's maybe something that people give very little thought to. Do you not think that they might have fixed that hole in the roof? Would that not be the right thing, the proper thing, the Christian thing to do? It wouldn't glorify the Lord to leave the hole. 
to leave the roof with that big hole still within it. I think the next day they were back in the roof. They brought their tools with them. They were doing a repair job, doing a cleaning up, cleaning up all the mess. What that reminds us or teaches us is there's a cost. There's a cost, brethren and sisters, for these people to get their friend to Christ. It cost them time. It cost them money. It maybe even cost them a little of their reputation. So what we're learning here is that they were going to get this man to Christ whatever it took. Do you have that dedication and soul winning in serving the Lord? Getting people to Christ, whatever it took, even if it meant tearing a hole in the roof and all the bother of going back to fix that hole the next day. So whatever it took, they weren't going to stop. They were going to get their friend to Christ. Do you have such a desire, men and women? I can sum it up for you like this. Win the lost at any cost. Do you have that burden upon your heart today? Determined to get souls to Christ, whatever the cost to you personally. King David, at the, the threshing floor of Arana, Arana offered to give the king the threshing floor and everything that he needed that day for the sacrifice. And David said, Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which doth cost me nothing. And you know, to our shame, brethren and sisters, so often that's our attitude. We just give the Lord the things that cost us nothing. The things that cost us nothing. I'll be at the meeting if I've nothing else to do. I'll be there on outreach night as long as it doesn't interfere with my plans. As long as it doesn't interfere with what I want to do personally. The things that cost us nothing. Is that the sort of outlook you have as a Christian? In the, in the city of Armagh, there was a, a famous Northern Ireland evangelist called uh, Noel Grant. That was, he was born in the city, just a little outside it. He, he was a man that was used of God. Back in that same era when Dr. Paisley was engaged in uh, those great times of evangelism, Noel Grant wrote that hymn, Above Thine Own Ambitions Here, and other voices sounding clear. There's words in that hymn that says, The price is high, severe the test, for those who would enjoy God's best. Surrender all, then take the road with those who will go through with God. There's a price, brethren and sisters. There's a price to pay to experience the blessing of God. There's a price to pay to be a winner of souls, to be used as a winner of souls. And the question is this, are you willing to pay it? Are you willing to pay that price? C.T. Stubbs said, Some want to live within sound of church or chapel bail. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Remember the lad in the Philippines? This is a place where souls are being saved. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Never lose sight of that, that purpose, that vision, that focus. 
That's what the Lord wants this church to do, to be. A soul-saving shop within a yard of hell. You may have heard of Leonard Ravenhill, the English evangelist. Again, greatly used, likely used. Leonard Ravenhill made some great statements in his lifetime and his ministry. Let me just finish with one of those for you. Could a mariner sit idle if he heard the drowning cry? Could a doctor sit in comfort and just let his patients die? Could a fireman sit idle, let men burn and give no hand? Can you sit at ease in Zion? And the whole wild world around you damned. A soul-saving shop bringing men to Christ. Four people engaged in that great task. May it be so here in your life, in your church, in coming days. May the Lord bless his word for the Savior's sake. Let's just pray together. Our Father, we bow before thee, thankful for your presence with us today, thankful for your word, the challenge of it. Remember that your word is a sharp two-edged sword. We thank you for the comfort of your word, and we thank you too, Father, for the challenge of it. Thank you for speaking to us today. We pray you'll lead us on a little further. We remember the Saviour in the garden. He went a little further. Lord, may we do so today as well. Lead us on a little further with thyself. Lead us on in the service of the Master. You've said we have not because we ask not. We ask, Father, for a greater experience of your blessing. We ask for opportunities this week to be a witness for Christ. We pray for discernment to be able to see those opportunities when they come our way. We pray for wisdom to know the right things to say. We ask the Lord to use us. You've you've said that if we follow thee that you'll make us fishers of men. We're asking, Father, today, put your hand upon our lives. Shape us, mould us. Make us each one into fishers of men. Use us in a greater way to bring others to Christ. We remember what the Bible tells us of Barnabas, a good man full of the Holy Ghost and faith and much people added on to the Lord. Lord, we ask for such a life. We ask for such a ministry personally in our churches in these days in which we're found. We pray that you'll use us, Father, to turn many to Christ, to turn many uh, to righteousness. We ask thee, Father, to lay upon our hearts a deeper burden for the lost, we, we ask that you'll bring us again into the days of God's power. We, we spoke a little of those times many years ago when you were using men like Dr. Paisley, others in this land as well, in a great way. Oh God, bring us again to those days. Send to us a move of God. You assured us that in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And Lord, we're pleading, we're asking. Uh, for those days of reaping. 
So be with us now. Even as we go, Father, we ask thee, speak on to our hearts. Help us not to be forgetful hearers. Help us to ponder. Remember, it says of Mary, she pondered all these things in her heart. Oh God, help us to do the same. Ponder all these things in our hearts. Here, these are Christ. Abide with us through today. Remember again the service tonight. Pray the power of God might come down. And Lord, we're asking that you'll do, do in this building today what you did in the home of Zacchaeus those many years ago. The Bible says, This day is salvation come to this house. Oh God, may it be so here today. Give us a token for good. Save souls amongst us, we ask. Part us now in thy fear, with thy favour. And may the blessing of God Almighty, the blessing of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be our abiding portion, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.